Part One of the Adventure of the Bruce Partington Plans, from his last bow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. His Last Bow by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Adventure of the Bruce Partington Plans, Part One. In the third week of November, in the year 1895, a dense yellow fog settled down upon London. From the Monday to the Thursday, I doubt whether it was ever possible from our windows in Baker Street to see the loom of the opposite houses. The first day Holmes had spent in cross-indexing his huge book of references. The second and third had been patiently occupied upon a subject which he had recently made his hobby, the music of the Middle Ages. But when, for the fourth time, after pushing back our chairs from breakfast, we saw the greasy, heavy brown swirl still drifting past us, and condensing in oily drops upon the window-panes, my comrades' impatience and active nature could endure this drab existence no longer. He paced restlessly about our sitting-room in a fever of suppressed energy, biting his nails, tapping the furniture, and chafing against inaction. "'Nothing of interest in the paper, Watson,' he said. "'I was aware that, by anything of interest, "'Holmes meant anything of criminal interest. "'There was the news of a revolution, of a possible war, "'and of an impending change of government. "'But these did not come within the horizon of my companion. "'I could see nothing recorded in the shape of crime, "'which was not commonplace and futile.' Holmes groaned and resumed his restless meanderings. "'The London criminal is certainly a dull fellow,' said he in the querulous voice of the sportsman, whose game has failed him. "'Look out the window, Watson. See how the figures loom up, are dimly seen, and then blend once more into the cloud-bank. The thief or the murderer could roam London on such a day as the tiger does the jungle, unseen until he pounces, and then evident only to his victim.' "'There have,' said I, "'been numerous petty thefts.' Holmes snorted in contempt. "'This great and sombre stage is set for something more worthy than that,' said he. "'It is fortunate for this community that I am not a criminal.' "'It is indeed,' said I heartily. "'Suppose that I were Brooks, or Woodhouse, "'or any of the fifty men who have good reason for taking my life. "'How long could I survive against my own pursuit?' "'a summons, a bogus appointment, and all would be over. "'It is well they don't have days of fog in the Latin countries, "'the countries of assassination. "'By Jove, here comes something at last to break our dead monotony.' "'It was the maid of the telegram. "'Holmes tore it open and burst out laughing. "'Well, well, what next?' said he. "'Brother Mycroft is coming round.' "'Why not?' I asked. "'Why not?' "'It is as if you met a tram-car coming down a country lane. "'Mycroft has his rails, and he runs on them. "'His Palmar lodgings, the Diogenes Club, Whitehall, that is his cycle. "'Once, and only once, he has been here. "'What upheaval can possibly have derailed him?' "'Does he not explain?' "'Holmes handed me his brother's telegram. "'Must see you over, Cadogan West, coming at once.' Maycroft. Cadogan West. I have heard that name. 
"'It recalls nothing to my mind, "'but that Maycraft should break out in this erratic fashion. "'A planet might as well leave its orbit. "'By the way, do you know what Maycroft is?' "'I had some vague recollection of an explanation at the time "'of the adventure of the Greek interpreter. "'You told me that he had some small office under the British government?' "'Holmes chuckled. "'I did not know you quite so well in those days.' "'One has to be discreet when one talks of high matters of state. "'You are right in thinking that he is under the British government. "'You would also be right, in a sense, "'if you said that occasionally he is the British government. "'My dear Holmes, I thought I might surprise you. "'Mycroft draws four hundred and fifty pounds a year, "'remains a subordinate, has no ambitions of any kind, "'will receive neither honour nor title, "'but remains the most indispensable man in the country.' "'But how?' "'Well, his position is unique. "'He has made it for himself. "'There has never been anything like it before, "'nor will be again. "'He has the tidiest and most orderly brain, "'with the greatest capacity for storing facts "'of any man living. "'The same great powers which I have turned "'to the detection of crime, "'he has used for this particular business. "'The conclusions of every department are passed to him, "'and he is the central exchange, "'the clearing-house,' "'which makes out the balance. "'All other men are specialists, "'but his specialism is omniscience. "'We will suppose that a minister needs information "'as to a point which involves the Navy, India, Canada, "'and the B-metallic question. "'He could get separate advices from various departments upon each, "'but only Mycroft can focus them all "'and say offhand how each factor would affect the other. "'They begin by using him as a shortcut.' "'a convenience. "'Now he has made himself an essential. "'In that great brain of his everything is pigeonholed, "'and can be handed out in an instant. "'Again and again his word has decided the national policy. "'He lives in it. "'He thinks of nothing else save when, as an intellectual exercise, "'he unbends if I call upon him and asks him to advise me on one of my little problems. "'But Jupiter is descending to-day. "'What on earth can it mean? "'Who is Cadogan West?' "'And what is he to Mycroft?' "'I have it,' I cried, "'and plunged among the litter of papers upon the sofa. "'Yes, yes, here he is, sure enough. "'Cadogan West was the young man "'who was found dead on the underground on Tuesday morning.' "'Holmes sat up at attention, "'his pipe half-way to his lips. "'This must be serious, Watson. "'A death which has caused my brother to alter his habits "'can be no ordinary one. "'What in the world can he have to do with it?' The case was featureless, as I remember it. The young man had apparently fallen out of the train and killed himself. He had not been robbed, and there was no particular reason to suspect violence. Is that not so? There has been an inquest, said I, and a good many fresh facts have come out. Looked at more closely, I should certainly say that it was a curious case. Judging by its effect upon my brother, I should think that it must be a most extraordinary one. He snuggled down in his armchair. Now, Watson, let us have the facts. The man's name was Arthur Godogan West. He was twenty-seven years of age, unmarried, and a clerk at Woolwich Arsenal. Government employ. Behold the link with Brother Maycroft. He left Woolwich suddenly on Monday night, was last seen by his fiancée, Miss Violet Westbury, whom he left abruptly in the fog about seven-thirty that evening. "'There was no quarrel between them, and she can give no motive for his action. 
The next thing that was heard of him was when his dead body was discovered by a plate-layer named Mason, just outside Oldgate Station, on the underground system in London. When? The body was found at six on the Tuesday morning. It was lying wide of the metals upon the left hand of the tracks, as one goes eastward, at a point close to the station, where the line emerges from the tunnel in which it runs. The head was badly crushed, an injury which might well have been caused by a fall from the train. The body could only have come on the line in that way. Had it been carried down from any neighbouring street, it must have passed the station barriers, where a collector is always standing. This point seems absolutely certain. Very good. The case is definite enough. The man, dead or alive, either fell or was precipitated from a train. So much is clear to me. Continue. The trains, which traverse the lines of rail beside which the body was found, are those which run from west to east, some being purely metropolitan, and some from Willesden and outlying junctions. It can be stated for certain that this young man, when he met his death, was travelling in this direction at some late hour of the night, but at what point he entered the train it is impossible to state. His ticket, of course, would show that. There was no ticket in his pockets. "'No ticket? Dear me, Watson, this is really very singular. "'According to my experience, it is not possible to reach the platform of a metropolitan train "'without exhibiting one's ticket. "'Presumably, then, the young man had one. "'Was it taken from him in order to conceal the station from which it came? "'It is possible. "'Or did he drop it in the carriage? "'That also is possible. "'But the point is of a curious interest.' "'I understand that there was no sign of robbery?' "'Apparently not. "'There is a list here of his possessions. "'His purse contained two pounds fifteen. "'He had also a cheque-book "'on the Woolwich branch of the Capital and Counties Bank. "'Through this his identity was established. "'There were also two dress-circle tickets for the Woolwich Theatre, "'dated for that very evening. "'Also a small pocket of technical papers.' Holmes gave an exclamation of satisfaction. "'There, we have it at last, Watson. British government, Woolwich Arsenal, technical papers, Brother Mycroft. The chain is complete. But here he comes, if I am not mistaken, to speak for himself.' A moment later the tall and portly form of Mycroft Holmes was ushered into the room. Heavily built and massive, there was a suggestion of uncouth physical inertia in the figure— but above this unwieldy frame there was perched a head so masterful in its brow, so alert in its steel-grey, deep-set eyes, so firm in its lips, and so subtle in its play of expression, that, after the first glance, one forgot the gross body, and remembered only the dominant mind. At his heels came our old friend Lestrade, of Scotland Yard, thin and austere, the gravity of both their faces foretold some weighty quest. The detective shook hands without a word. Mycroft Holmes struggled out of his overcoat and subsided into an armchair. "'A most annoying business, Sherlock,' said he. "'I extremely dislike altering my habits, but the powers that be would take no denial. In the present state of Siam it is most awkward that I should be away from the office. But it is a real crisis.' I have never seen the Prime Minister so upset. As to the Admiralty, it is buzzing like an overturned beehive. 
"'Have you read up the case?' "'We have just done so. "'What were the technical papers?' "'Ah, there's the point. "'Fortunately, it has not come out. "'The press would be furious if it did. "'The papers which this wretched youth had in his pocket "'were the plans of the Bruce Partington submarine.' Mycroft Holmes spoke with a solemnity which showed his sense of the importance of the subject. His brother and I sat expectant. "'Surely you have heard of it. I thought everyone had heard of it.' "'Only as a name?' "'Its importance can hardly be exaggerated. It has been the most jealously guarded of all government secrets. You may take from me that naval warfare becomes impossible within the radius of a Bruce Partington's operation.' Two years ago a very large sum was smuggled through the estimates, and was expended in acquiring a monopoly of the invention. Every effort has been made to keep the secret. The plans, which are exceedingly intricate, comprising some thirty separate patents, each essential to the working of the whole, are kept in an elaborate safe in a confidential office adjoining the arsenal, with burglar-proof doors and windows." "'under no conceivable circumstances were the plans to be taken from the office. "'If the chief constructor of the navy desired to consult them, "'even he was forced to go to the Woolwich office for the purpose. "'And yet, here we find them, in the pocket of a dead junior clerk, in the heart of London. "'From an official point of view, it's simply awful. "'But you have recovered them?' "'No, Sherlock, no. That's the pinch. We have not.' Ten papers were taken from Woolwich. There were seven in the pocket of Cadogan West. The three most essential are gone. Stolen. Vanished. You must drop everything, Sherlock. Never mind your usual petty puzzles of the police court. It is a vital international problem that you have to solve. Why did Cadogan West take the papers? Where are the missing ones? How did he die? How came his body where it was found? How can the evil be set right?' Find an answer to all these questions, and you will have done good service for your country. Why do you not solve it yourself, Mycroft? You can see as far as I. Possibly, Sherlock, but it is a question of getting details. Give me your details, and from an armchair I will return you an excellent expert opinion. But to run here and run there, to cross-question railway guards and lie on my face with a lens to my eye, it is not my metier. "'No. You are the one man who can clear the matter up. "'If you have a fancy to see your name in the next honours list.' "'My friend smiled and shook his head. "'I play the game for the game's own sake,' said he. "'But the problem certainly presents some points of interest, "'and I shall be very pleased to look into it. "'Some more facts, please. "'I have jotted down the most essential ones upon this sheet of paper.' "'together with a few addresses which you will find of service. "'The actual official guardian of the papers "'is the famous government expert, Sir James Walter, "'whose decorations and subtitles "'fill two lines of a book of reference. "'He has grown grey in the service, is a gentleman, "'a favoured guest in the most exalted houses, "'and, above all, a man whose patriotism is beyond suspicion. "'He is one of two who have a key of the safe.' I may add that the papers were undoubtedly in the office during working hours on Monday, and that Sir James left for London about three o'clock, taking his key with him. He was at the house of Admiral Sinclair at Berkeley Square during the whole of the evening when this incident occurred. 
has this fact been verified? Yes, his brother, Colonel Valentine Walter, has testified to his departure from Woolwich, and Admiral Sinclair to his arrival in London. So, Sir James is no longer a direct factor in the problem. Who was the other man with the key? The senior clerk and draftsman, Mr. Sidney Johnson. He is a man of forty, married, with five children. He is a silent, morose man, but he has, on the whole, an excellent record in the public service. He is unpopular with his colleagues, but a hard worker. According to his own account, corroborated only by the word of his wife, he was at home the whole of Monday evening after office hours, and his key has never left the watch-chain upon which it hangs. Tell us about Cadogan West. He has been ten years in the service and has done good work. He has the reputation of being hot-headed and impetuous, but a straight and honest man. We have nothing against him. He was next to Sidney James in the office. His duties brought him into daily, personal contact with the plans. No one else had the handling of them. Who locked the plans up that night? Mr. Sidney James, the senior clerk. Well, it is surely perfectly clear who took them away. They are actually found upon the person of this junior clerk, Cadogan West. That seems final, does it not? It does, Sherlock, and yet it leaves so much unexplained. In the first place, why did he take them? I presume they were of value. He could have got several thousands for them very easily. Can you suggest any possible motive for taking the papers to London, except to sell them? No, I cannot. Then we must take that as our working hypothesis. Young West took the papers. Now this could only have been done by having a false key. Several false keys. He had to open the building and the room. He had then several false keys. He took the papers to London to sell in secret, intending, no doubt, to have the plans themselves back in the safe next morning, before they were missed. While in London on this treasonable mission, he met his end. How? We will suppose that he was travelling back to Woolwich, when he was killed and thrown out of the compartment. Oldgate, where the body was found, is considerably past the station for London Bridge, which would be his route to Woolwich. Many circumstances could be imagined under which he would pass London Bridge. There was someone in the carriage, for example, with whom he was having an absorbing interview. This interview led to a violent scene in which he lost his life. Possibly he tried to leave the carriage, fell out on the line, and so met his end. The other closed the door, there was a thick fog, and nothing could be seen. No better explanation can be given without our present knowledge, and yet consider, Sherlock, how much you leave untouched. We will suppose, for argument's sake, that young Cadogan West had determined to convey these papers to London. He would naturally have made an appointment with the foreign agent, and kept his evening clear. Instead of that, he took two tickets for the theatre, escorted his fiancée halfway there, and then suddenly disappeared. "'A blind,' said Lestrade, who had sat listening with some impatience to the conversation. "'A very singular one. That is objection number one. Objection number two. We will suppose that he reaches London and sees the foreign agent. He must bring back the papers before morning, or the loss will be discovered.' He took away ten, 
Only seven were in his pocket. What has become of the other three? He certainly would not leave them of his own free will. Then again, where is the price of his treason? One would have expected to find a large sum of money in his pocket. It seems perfectly clear to me, said Lestrade. I have no doubt at all as to what occurred. He took the papers to sell them. He saw the agent. They could not agree as to a price. He started home again, but the agent went with him. In the train the agent murdered him, took the more essential papers, and threw his body from the carriage. That would account for everything, would it not? Why had he no ticket? The ticket would have shown which station was nearest the agent's house. Therefore he took it from the murdered man's pocket. "'Good, Lestrade, very good,' said Holmes. "'Your theory holds together. "'But if this is true, then the case is at an end. "'On the one hand, the traitor is dead. "'On the other, the plans of the Bruce Partington submarine "'are presumably already on the continent. "'What is there for us to do?' "'To act, Sherlock, to act,' cried Mycroft, springing to his feet. "'All my instincts are against this explanation. "'Use your powers.' "'Go to the scene of the crime. "'See the people concerned. "'Leave no stone unturned. "'In all your career you've never had so great a chance of serving your country.' "'Well, well,' said Holmes, shrugging his shoulders. "'Come, Watson, and you, Lestrade, "'could you favour us with your company for an hour or two? "'We will begin our investigation by a visit to Aldergate Station. "'Good-bye, Mycroft. "'I shall let you have a report before evening.' "'but I warn you in advance that you have little to expect.' "'An hour later, Holmes, Lestrade, and I "'stood upon the Underground Railroad "'at the point where it emerges from the tunnel "'immediately before Aldgate Station. "'A courteous, red-faced old gentleman "'represented the railway company. "'This is where the young man's body lay,' said he, "'indicating a spot about three feet from the metals. "'It could not have fallen from above.' "'for these, as you see, are all blank walls. "'Therefore it could only have come from a train, "'and that train, so far as we can trace it, "'must have passed about midnight on Monday. "'Have the carriages been examined for any signs of violence? "'There are no such signs, and no ticket has been found. "'No record of a door being found open? "'None. "'We have had some fresh evidence this morning,' said Lestrade. "'a passenger who passed Aldgate in an ordinary metropolitan line train "'about eleven-forty on Monday night, "'declares that he heard a heavy thud, "'as of a body striking the line just before the train reached the station. "'There was dense fog, however, and nothing could be seen. "'He made no report of it at the time. "'Why, whatever is the matter with Mr. Holmes?' "'My friend was standing with an expression of strained intensity upon his face.' "'staring at the railway metals where they curved out of the tunnel. "'Oldgate is a junction, and there was a network of points. "'On these his eager, questioning eyes were fixed, "'and I saw in his keen, alert face "'that tightening of the lips, that quiver of the nostrils, "'and the concentration of the heavy, tufted brows which I knew so well. "'Points,' he muttered, "'the points. "'What of it? What do you mean?' "'I suppose there are no great number of points on a system such as this?' "'No, there are very few.' "'And a curve, too. Points on a curve. "'By Jove, if it were only so.' 
"'What is it, Mr. Holmes? Have you a clue?' "'An idea, an indication, no more. "'But the case certainly grows in interest. "'Unique, perfectly unique. "'And yet why not? "'I do not see any indications of bleeding on the line.' "'There were hardly any. "'But I understand that there was a considerable wound.' The bone was crushed, but there were no great external injuries. And yet one would have expected some bleeding. Would it be possible for me to inspect the train which contained the passenger, who heard the thud of a fall in the fog? I fear not, Mr. Holmes. The train has been broken up before now, and the carriage is redistributed. I can assure you, Mr. Holmes, said Lestrade, that every carriage has been carefully examined. I saw to it myself. "'Twas one of my friend's most obvious weaknesses "'that he was impatient with less alert intelligences than his own. "'Very likely,' said he, turning away. "'As it happens, it was not the carriages which I desired to examine. "'Watson, we have done all we can here. "'We need not trouble you any further, Mr. Lestrade. "'I think our investigation must now carry us to Woolwich.' "'At London Bridge, Holmes wrote a telegram to his brother.' "'which he handed to me before dispatching it. "'It ran thus. "'See some light in the darkness, "'but it may possibly flicker out. "'Meanwhile, please send by messenger "'to await return at Baker Street. "'A complete list of all foreign spies "'or international agents known to be in England, "'with full address. "'Sherlock.' "'That should be helpful, Watson,' "'he remarked as we took our seats on the Woolwich train.' We certainly owe Brother Mycroft a debt for having introduced us to what promises to be a really very remarkable case. His eager face still wore that expression of intense and high-strung energy, which showed me that some novel and suggestive circumstance had opened up a stimulating line of thought. See the foxhound with hanging ears and drooping tail as it lolls about the kennels, and compare it with the same hound, as, with gleaming eyes and straining muscles, it runs upon a breast-high scent. Such was the change in home since this morning. He was a different man from the limp and lounging figure in the mouse-coloured dressing-gown, who had prowled so restlessly, only a few hours before, round the fog-rit room. "'There is material here. There is scope,' said he. "'I am dull indeed not to have understood its possibilities. Even now they are dark to me.' "'The end is dark to me also, but I have hold of one idea which may lead us far. "'The man met his death elsewhere, and his body was on the roof of a carriage.' "'On the roof?' "'Remarkable, is it not? But consider the facts. "'Is it a coincidence that it is found at the very point where the train pitches and sways "'as it comes round on the points? "'Is it not that the place where an object upon the roof might be expected to fall off?' "'the points would affect no object inside the train. "'Either the body fell from the roof, "'or a very curious coincidence has occurred. "'But now consider the question of the blood. "'Of course there was no bleeding on the line, "'if the body had bled elsewhere. "'Each fact is suggestive in itself. "'Together they have a cumulative force. "'And the ticket, too,' I cried. "'Exactly. "'We could not explain the absence of a ticket.' "'This would explain it. Everything fits together. "'But suppose it were so. 
we are still as far as ever from unravelling the mystery of his death. Indeed, it becomes not simpler, but stranger. Perhaps, said Holmes thoughtfully, perhaps. He relapsed into a silent revere, which lasted until the slow train drew up at last in Woolwich Station. There he called a cab and drew my cross paper from his pocket. We have quite a little round of afternoon calls to make. I think that Sir James Walter claims our first attention. End of the Adventure of the Bruce Partington Plans, Part 1